You are listening to the message by Antioch Centre for the Nations. For more information, please visit www.antiochcenterforthenations.org. Thank you. I won't put the title of our message up tonight. I made some reference to this message already in past messages and said I was going to come to do this, and I spent the last uh, few days in the week getting this ready and then uh, throughout the morning uh, sealing it and locking it down into the presentation I wanted it to be. So this is about the art of petition in prayer. And I want to begin with the scripture in Psalm 88, verses 1 and 2. It says, Lord, you are the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. Prayer is a, it's a vital part of the Christian life, of course, or the life of the believer, those of us who follow Christ. It's actually the, a vital part of many people's lives, whether it be authentically spiritual in connection to God, or if it is some other ritual that they do, maybe different religions, different faiths, different people. And we personally connect to God as a form of communication with him. And why do we communicate is one of the reasons why we're going to see this message. But a lot of people are doing it for different reasons and different ways. And but we as believers, we do it through the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that First Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 says, For there is one God. How many of you believe that? There's one God. And I know there's a lot of uh, vacillating of opinions, even amongst believers these days. And what they begin to say is that, well, there's one God, but he's in many forms. Be real careful with some of the doctrines that are sneaking around out there. I recently was speaking to a believer, and I had known this fellow for a while, and he really called into question the exclusivity of Christ. It shocked me. Something you would never think that believers would do, but it means that there is actively a deceptive spirit going around through different ideals and principles. A lot of it's just the spirit of the world. And it's causing people who do not want to be ostracized from a social belonging to say things or adjust the way they say things. And the problem with the slippery slope of accommodation of people is that your own doctrines begin to change. Because we are what we create by the words we speak. And if you begin to speak soft doctrines, then your doctrinal basis gets softer and softer. Before long, you start thinking, well, you know, wouldn't be very fair if... Jesus were the one and only king. And perhaps he has showed up many times through the ages. I know, and I'm not going to get into a debate about that. This is not a time to enter in apologetics and come against a polygamous mentality, uh, uh, I mean, a, um, polytheistic, <laughs> a polytheistic mentality about who our Savior is. But there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. So there's a, there's a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We as men, we relate to the Father. Our prayer goes through Jesus. We pray to Jesus. Jesus speaks to the Father on our behalf, and intercession is made. He ever lives to make intercession for us. But although this entire system of prayer and the way that it, is, it transpires between heaven and earth is a bit complicated, it's important for us to know that the fact and act of prayer can be relegated to one simple concept, and that's really petition. Uh, the very word for prayer means that we come before God to ask for something. 
And in a moment, we're going to see some different things about that as we break down the life of Hannah and her experiences as foundation of the book 1 Samuel. Actually, foundation to all the writings concerning the prophets and the kings was one woman's prayer. It all began when a woman crying out to God. So we're going to see that in a moment. But before I get there, I know that we see many examples of petition being made on behalf of self and others in the Bible. I have a list of some of the, the intercessors we see through time. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And we know in each of these I could preach a message on intercession, petition, relationship with God through dynamic prayer, through powerful prayer, through effective prayer. And they certainly give you many different aspects. We know Moses was a great intercessor. Moses stood on behalf of the people and saved them more than once because of his intercession. We know Daniel fought in intercession for the nation of Israel and prayed deeply. And in a moment, we're going to see something about him that's going to help us understand some principles about prayer. And of course, Jesus, whoever lives to make intercession for us. So the art of petition or asking God for something is our art that we must master. Some people say, well, you know, I'm not very good at art. I can't draw that well. But I believe anyone with practice can. And so art being applied to petition, I think, is true. If you learn how to intercede, if you spend time with people who are constantly do that, doing that, then you will learn how to relate to God in a powerful way, just like our patriarchs did. Now, I asked the question, why do some prayers not get answered? And that's an important question. Some of the reasons why, we're going to look at three of them. First of all is wrong motives. In James chapter 4, verses 2, the first part of 2, or the second part, it says, you covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. Now, that'd be one reason, of course, that you're not even asking. But if you did ask and don't get, how many have ever asked for something and did not get it? Or we pray for something and do not get it. You know how that works. So here we see that it says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. So the first of the motives that is incorrect, these, these principles that we see about why prayers do not get answers, is sometimes our prayers do not match the purposes of God. And because God loves us so much, he actually causes that our petitions not be answered to protect us. Not unlike the father in the natural realm with a child that's very young. We do not give our children everything they ask for. And we know that children can bellyache and become miserable and say they never get anything. And they don't take into account that they have a bedroom with an air condition and they have food and they have everything they could ever want in the whole world surrounding them. They only know what they don't get. Well, sometimes we're like that as believers, too. We're crying out for something that we want. So that is sometimes a wrong motive can stop you from getting the things that you're asking for. Because I can pray all day for a Lamborghini. I don't really know that I need a Lamborghini. I don't, you can't even use a Lamborghini in this nation. Where are you going to drive to? You know, get up to 250 kilometers an hour on Bing Chong Rise? I mean, what can I possibly do with that? So there's things that, uh, that would be my own lust. Because, you know, we always have them right outside the door here. I've seen at least 12 different Lamborghinis parked right outside our church right here. And those watching online, no, we're not that rich that our people have Lamborghinis lined up outside. Not that there's anything wrong with that. 
But motives anyway for things have to be justified and understood and accommodated to the purposes of God. What does God want for us? And so another wrong motive is a lack of focus or uh, one of the reasons why we don't have our prayers answered. What I mean by that is James chapter 1, verse 6, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So here we see the example of the fact that sometimes we pray and we are not very focused. One day we want one thing and the next day we want another. One day we're praying for this and it consumes us, but there's no diligence, there's no consistency of petition. We give up on it easily, not after having received a breakthrough, but simply after getting tired of asking. We just quit asking so we don't receive. And that's probably one of the most common reasons why we do not have that. This morning in Journey with Jesus, I was teaching about Zacchaeus. And there were a lot of people on the road that day. There were thousands of people there at Jericho that formed this committee of welcome for the Christ. And they brought a procession of people. The leaders of the community went and guided Jesus in. They had some issues as Jesus was coming in the city. One of it was these crazy blind people were screaming out. They had to shut them up, but they couldn't shut them up. So Jesus ended up healing their eyes for them. And it says those that led the procession rebuked them from crying out to Jesus. So right after they get into the city, lo and behold, he's waving, everyone's excited, and they're up swaying in a tall tree, a sycamore tree, is Zacchaeus in his fine linen and clothing. One, God's wondering, or Jesus is wondering, what is he doing there? But he went to him and said, Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. I'm going home with you today. And it's the only person. The people grumbled against him and were angry because why would Jesus go home with him when we're so holy and we're out here in this procession welcoming him? This guy just climbed the tree because Jesus sees things about persistence and drive and desire. He loves when we are so persistent. We break holes and roofs and lower stretchers down. He loves when we cry out in the crowd. And sometimes, frankly, we just don't have that. I mean, Zacchaeus did not have to climb that tree. Zacchaeus could have just received the report later, but it says he wanted to see who Jesus was. He wanted to get a close look at him. And that's the same thing. A lot of our prayers have to do with that, but we don't get them because we, we try a little and then we say, well, maybe it's not for me. Zacchaeus could have said, maybe it's not for me. Maybe I'm not destined to meet the Christ. I'll just pray. No, he didn't take that as a logical conclusion for his life. So lack of focus. We need to stay focused. It's the same with a child again. If our children come and ask us for something, very often we just ignore them long enough, they'll forget about it. Isn't that true? They want some special thing, and they ask and ask, and then they forget because they're easily distracted with something else. Well, we're like that too often also. What we want so desperately today, tomorrow is nothing. And God knows that, so he doesn't always respond. Another reason is the time delays on the part of God's timing. So God has a specific time. In Mark 13, 32 says, but of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but the father alone. This means that God has an agenda that we don't know about. He has a calendar and a book of appointments that is very specific. John 2, verse 4 says, and Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. This is when Mary was pressuring 
Jesus to make the water into wine or fix the wine problem. She didn't actually say turn the water into wine. Jesus come up with that solution. Another scripture in John 7, 6, so Jesus said to them, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. Again, this is with family members. He's talking to his brothers. His brothers didn't believe in him, and they didn't live by God's schedule. John 7, 30, so they were seeking to seize him, and no man laid his hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So there's many places in the Bible it says that Jesus was living by a very structured and specific timeline that no one seemed to know. And Jesus himself said the day and the hour no one knows. The Father is the one in control of that. So what I'm saying is sometimes you're praying and asking for something and it's just not time yet. And it's not that he doesn't want to give it to you, but it's not time. Look at the passage in Daniel chapter 10 and onward from verse 12. Then he continued. Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. This is a unique uh, portion of scripture that shows us there's stuff going on in realms that we cannot possibly comprehend or understand. So therefore, if things are delayed, sometimes there's a very good reason for it. Daniel had been praying for three weeks and his prayer was instantly heard, but it took weeks for it to be substantiated or realized. And I, I want to say to you that probably there are things that God does want to give you that you also want and you're asking for. I'm sure Abraham prayed continuously as well as Sarah that they have a child and they were never able to do it. Until when? Until the time that the father had planned exactly for them to have Isaac. So it's the same with us. Now, the solution to all of these reasons why we don't is patience. Philippians 4, 6 says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So as you enter into the arena of prayer, don't be anxious, don't be impatient. Pray and know that God will do it. In a moment, we're going to look into this case about Hannah, and we're going to see that she did that. And that she had a breakthrough of peace and rest at a moment when she knew that her petition had been registered. And honestly, from my experience, I have found out when I'm praying, I know the difference now. Maybe because of 35 years of doing ministry. But I know when my prayers are officially registered in the heavens and I know when they're not yet done. I just feel it. I don't know why, but there is a sense. And I'm going to talk more about that after in that portion. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. And Psalm 40, verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. And there are many, many scriptures that talk about that required patience in prayer and talking to God. So now I want us to focus on this one specific passage in 1 Samuel where we're going to see Hannah and her petition before God, and I've identified seven elements of prayer that I want to break down for you here as we go into this story of Hannah. Seven elements of prayer. How many of you feel that you want to hear this message? Because okay, this is your last chance. I'm going right into it now. 
You can hurry up and sneak out. Nobody will stop you. You're free to go. But if you want to hear this, this is where it begins. Amen? So you receive me as a messenger from God. And you've come here with that understanding that God has a message for you. So we're coming into agreement. Wherever two or more gather together and they agree about anything, it will be. So therefore, our combined prayer causes there to be a dynamic here with this that allows the Holy Spirit to speak through me. Do you agree with that? Oh, I feel so good just coming into agreement because that's where God operates. So let's pray. Holy Spirit of the living God, we are the church at Antioch. We are prophets and teachers gathered here. And the Holy Spirit will speak here. So we yield to your voice. We yield to this message that I know you've given me. But I want to give you free license and control of manipulation over everything that I speak. I want you to say whatever you want to say. I want you to do with my message as you please. Yes, I've been working on it since very early this morning. Yes, I've labored extremely to put it together. But it is yours, Lord. So speak as you please. We yield to you tonight. Let our ears be open to hear. Let our spiritual eyes have clear vision tonight. And let every word go deep into our hearts. For we will receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the, all of these are factors, these elements. And so I name each one. I mean, you know, you've heard like the fear factor or the X factor. Uh, there are many. There's a grace factor in our life. This, whatever factors into an amalgam of principles. And that's what we have concerning petition. These seven factors. Number one, I call the need factor. Hannah had no child. First verse of the first chapter of the first book about the history of the prophets and the kings. It says, there was a certain man from Ramathiam, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuth, and Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children. But Hannah had none. So here we have Hannah. And the basis of this entire story is built upon this reason. The reason why we're studying this example is because Hannah had a need. At this point of the mention of the fact that she, she had this need, there was only a certain degree of stress on her. She was worried about it, I'm sure, when she first tried. Imagine the first time she expected that maybe she was pregnant and she was disappointed and she was not. And so it began to bother her. But we're talking about many times, years are going by, that she just can't get pregnant. And she's married opposite another wife. And, of course, back then polygamy was accepted. And it is still accepted in per, par, portions of the world. But here we see Hannah had no children. And so this was stressful to her. It's a need that she had. She was enduring this issue. But it took time to, to push her to a level of real petition. I'm sure her prayer was there. But it was not so earnest that we see her in the temple yet. It's just bothering her. How many of you have things in your life that just bother you? Things that are annoying. It's so annoying. Something in your life that irritates you. We all have our own pet peeves, as they say. But here I see as a foundational truth to prayer and petition, we find that the degree to which a need or problem affects us is the response of God. God does not respond to our need. And this is where a lot of Christians get it wrong. 
A lot of believers think that God is concerned about every need that we have. He's concerned, but the way that he answers need has a lot to do not with the need. Jesus even said, the poor you have with you always. There's always going to be things that are wrong. There's always going to be things that you want or desire that you don't get. Some reasons you don't accept is what we've already seen. We've seen these issues, wrong motives, time delays, it's not time yet, or whatever the case, or maybe you're not asking with enough depth. I think with the story of Hannah, we find that might be the case in the beginning here. She's just not yet really at the point of true petition, because I find that there is a crescendo or an evolution of heart and emotion that brings us from simply being slightly concerned about the issue to it irritating us increasingly and to the point where we force our way in for some type of a response from God. But the foundation is this need, the need factor. So therefore, as we as believers, we tolerate a lot of stuff. We have a lot of needs. How many of you could say every single one of your needs are provided? Now, be careful not to get too religious, you know, because there are needs that extend into the future. Maybe you're someone that is easily content. I, I actually have a lot of things that I need. God takes good care of me. But certainly if I said, who, has, who in this room has things that they want? and they don't have. Well, of course, every hand would go up. There's something that you would want. Strangely, it has less to do with substance and more to do with the people around you. Some of our greatest petitions have a lot more to do with the people we are relating to than it does about what we have in our hands. We want people to change. We want circumstances about humanity to change. We want relationships to change. Of course, God does not work out everything because then we would be a master manipulator of all humanity. Imagine if he answered every time, you know, I don't like the way Leisha's looking at me, so God deal with her. No, I wouldn't do that. If I said this about my wife, you know, I don't like the way my wife acts, God change her. Well, you know, you can pray all you want. It doesn't mean anything's going to change because that is usually what we're praying but there are more important things. There are needs and there are wants. This particular thing is not technically a need if you think about it. Hannah's not going to die if she doesn't have a child. But it means a lot to her. As, of course, if you understood Hebrew culture, like many cultures, it means a whole lot whether you had a child or not. It was your posterity. It was your product. It was the, 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 the proof of your existence. It was your lineage. And you wanted to honor, as a wife, you wanted to honor the name of your husband through you. That was your whole purpose as a young woman, someone coming into a relationship with a husband. And that very thing that husbands mostly valued about their wives in that culture is the thing she cannot do. And of course, he's a kind man, Elkanah, and we're going to find out more about him in a minute. But it's all starting here with this need. And as we move on to another point, we see a common catalyst for a certain level of aggravation. Because when we tolerate things in our life that maybe God wants to change, that even there are things that he sees as a need that we don't see as a need. We tolerate it. We don't care. We kind of, we're not aggressive enough to force our way in, and, but God wants to change this thing. So what does he do? He just turns up the heat under us, and he causes circumstances to begin to irritate us to the degree that we will seek some change. We then call something a need 
that we may never have thought before was a need. And that's what is also happening here in this story. So as we move, we're going to see that as time passes, these needs and the way they affect us will grow. And if the circumstances of the natural are not enough, God will send messengers to cause you to even feel greater. Now, I also want to tell you that an important element of prayer and petition in its greatest purpose is to cause you to become intimate with the Creator. So you were made to know God. Your whole reason for existence was for fellowship with God. And if you do not voluntarily, as he lavishes upon you with all grace and mercy, everything you could ever want, your heart's desire, if in that circumstance you do not voluntarily relate and pursue an intimate relationship with him, he is only left with one recourse, to turn the heat up in your life and cause circumstances to bring you close to him. You think, well, that's kind of masochistic, isn't it? He's kind of cruel. Is he just going to manipulate everyone? Well, first of all, he's God. You have no business questioning his motives or what he does. He has a right. He's jealous, and he's the only one that can be. He wants us so bad. He wants us to be close to him. He wants us intimate with him so badly that torturing us in the process to get us there is not a big deal for him. And so he causes this by things like this, like needs. You say, well, did God close the womb of Hannah? Actually, he did. And we're going to see the scripture to prove it in a minute. But in the midst of this need, and Hannah on a process of relating to God, just like all of us, we see there are many factors. After the need factor, we see that she had great favor. And I call this number two, the favor factor. Hannah had a double portion. It says in verse 3, as we continue in 1 Samuel chapter 1, year after year, this man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty in Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. Now, first of all, note, that she had many. So it wasn't enough that she had a little baby and Hannah had Hannah has nothing and this woman has a clan. So it's growing and irritating her more and more. Every child this woman is popping out, Peninnah is making babies. You know Hannah's thinking, why her and not me? How many have ever felt that about people being blessed around you, people having advantages you don't have? It irritates you. And that's part of the process that's going to push you to that intimacy and what produces real petition with God. So she has these sons and these daughters, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. So here we see favor from man, favor from her husband, Elkanah, who loves her very much. Perhaps one of the reasons was simply because her womb was closed, he had compassion and he felt sorry for her. So he gave her a double portion. But really in the Hebrew, it does not necessitate that idea. It could be that it is a secondary thing, that he just loved her, but then also wanted to give her and bless her because she was missing this ability to make children. But it's not his fault, and it's not her fault if you think about it. It says God closed her womb. 
So as we look at this, Elkanah loved Hannah so much, he gave her this double portion, twice what he gave his other wife. And actually, Hannah's name means favor. It's uh, related to the word for grace, unmerited favor. So Hannah means one that was favored of God. Doesn't seem like it at first, though, because she's childless. But as the story goes on, we're going to learn more. But in this favor factor, we're all recipients and benefactors of a covenant of grace. God's abundant mercy and grace founded and furnished our existence in his great unsurpassable love. His love for us, his grace, this favor that he gives us is why Jesus died on the cross. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So whoever believes... Don't have to perish, but we're given favor to go live in eternity with him. And that even is built upon a covenant of grace. It's not like it was of old. We don't have to sacrifice all the animals. We do not have very strict rules and laws over us. We just need to believe in him, and he counts it unto us as righteousness. Relate to him, doing the best that we can. And when we sin, we repent, and he forgives us graciously and kindly. And we're not going to sin for grace to abound. But we know we live in a covenant of favor. So we're all kind of like a Hannah. We have been shown favor. But just because you're living in a covenant of grace doesn't mean you have everything that you need. Doesn't mean that you're going through very trying circumstances or that you're not going through them or you're in some type of difficult moment of your life. So God's favor is there because he loved her, it says. So the love that Elkanah had for her increased in the midst of the need. Because favor and relationship come from the forging fire of need, of difficulty, and of trials. If you want favor, there has to be a need preceding it. Favor is just something not given. It's usually compassion on the part of God. That you have a problem, you have a need, and God has compassion. Speaking of compassion, recently, of course, we are people of the media, and we have social media. I don't know if you saw that young boy who has dwarfism that was bullied by the people in his school, and somebody uh, posted, the mother posted him having a fit and crying about always being bullied and beaten, and it was just horrible. They posted it online, and some guy just felt so bad. Turns out like he, uh, all these actors, Hugh Jackman and many other actors posted videos and sent them to the little boy, and somebody said, we want to raised some money from him. They ended up, they were, I think at last count was like $800,000 or something for this little boy that was, why? Because of compassion. And if you saw the video too, you'd be like, I need to send him some money because it was so sad, the poor little kid. So that's, that's the way need is. When there's a need, someone's been mistreated, they're suffering, it, it engenders favor. And God so loved us. God has so much compassion for us in our lives in every problem. But there's some very important things about this. Let's say that the need is there, you're experiencing it, God has favor, which means you have access to him and you can talk to him, but are you really pursuing to make a petition correctly? Number three, there's reasons there are in life, of course, the obstacles, and I call this the obstacle factor, that Hannah's womb was closed because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb. This starts with that, but look what follows. Her rival... Peninnah, kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Now, this makes you want to slap Peninnah because Peninnah already had a bunch of children. This means that every baby born, she would tell Hannah, nah, 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 nah. You know, like she would do something to irritate her. 
and talk to her and bring it up. Oh, you're still not pregnant? Oh, yeah, I'm on my fifth. But anyway, you know, we'll keep praying for you, Hannah. Walk away. Whatever she did, it irritated Hannah and started getting on her nerves. And this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Have you ever had a problem so severe that you weep and don't eat? Something that bothers you so bad. I have. It bothers you so bad, you just you can't stop crying, and you cannot even eat. You're so miserable. A lot of people have not been in that realm of duress or stress, but it does happen, and this is what's going on. The, these obstacles, these problems, the difficulties are increasing and multiplying. And this all begins with one issue, that God closed her room. If God had not closed her room, none of these things would be there. But you have to understand that Hannah is being fashioned as a productive person that will produce, in the future, the greatest prophet that ever walks the earth, Samuel. So what is the beginning? What's the foundation of that? We know that a lot of great men of God are here today doing amazing things because their mothers were praying for them, because their mothers were in intercession. You go back that maybe their mother was not very known, but it turns out they will say their mother was always there. Their mother was always praying, always petitioning, always caring, always loving. And so God produces in people and causes things so that we can be fruitful. And Hannah becomes fruitful later. But as for now, she just knows that she does not have children. And this Peninnah keeps irritating her more and more and more, year after year, every time, provoking her on purpose to make her weep and to cause her not to eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I don't think she answered this question because there's no record of the answer. So she said, he said it, but she didn't answer. Don't I mean more than you? And she just kept crying. Because there's always somebody trying to console you in your dilemma and your problem, and they're trying to be nice. But have you ever been in a situation so difficult, you're wrestling with it, and people come and try to, try to pat you on the back and tell you, and it just makes you angry? It's, it's common. That's how you know you're in the, in the entering the house of petition. Because this thing is bothering you so bad. Nobody understands your perspective. Nobody really gets it. Now, why are you so worried about that? And you're like, well, you just want to slap them in the face. Because it is something that's being done in you, not in them. You're being transformed, and God is purposely causing the irritation to rise step by step so that you can be pushed into a place of relativity to him, a place of connection to him. And so we see that the word of God says what's going on. And most frequent in life, the trials and suffering we go through are part of a process of spiritual growth with God. And remember that our greatest purpose lies in the fact that we are created for this relationship with God. So Adam was made by God for God. Before any human was on earth, Adam was there. They hung out together. They walked together. God gave him a job naming the animals. There was an intimacy there. Later on, Eve came along and things got a little rocky and then difficulties came in issues. But the original purpose of our existence is to hang out with God, to be intimate with God. And this rival keeps irritating her. So we go to number four. This is the petition factor. 
It says Hannah prayed. Actually, there's a number of things it says here, but I want to start by reading the scripture where it says that once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, but her lips were not moving or um, were, were moving, but there was no sound coming. Her voice was not heard. Now, this is her in the throes of petition. She's in the place now where she's really praying. There are some elements here, four points of petition I want to point out to you so you can understand. And this will let you know if you've ever actually been in real petition, real intercession. This is what you go through. These are the feelings you feel. The first thing we says is that Hannah stood up. This shows us the decision of petition. She had to stand up. She had to change her orientation and her position toward what was going to be done about this problem. Her body language physically pursued prayer before she did is that she stood up. What for? To go into a place with an action to pray. And I find that many people think about the need they have and even complain about it without actually converting their frustration into a standing position of prayer. A real thing. That's, this is the kind of thing that we decide. That's it, I'm fasting. That's it, I'm praying this many hours. I'm going to the temple and I'm staying at the temple. I'm going to church. Pastor, give me a key to the church. I want to spend 12 hours praying there. If you came to me and said that, I would give you a key like that. Nobody's ever asked for that. Well, maybe it's good. Maybe you don't have that many needs. But also you may wonder, why am I not truly intimate with God? Be careful what you ask for. Because if need, duress, stress, and difficulty is the catalyst that causes this kind of connection to come, Maybe you should think carefully about asking for it. I heard one evangelist say it this way. You want a great anointing? Get ready for a great persecution. Because that's what produces it. A equals P. The anointing equals persecution. The power, the intimacy. Hannah stood up. She took a stand. We need to take a stand when it's time to intercede. Secondly, Hannah prayed in deep anguish. This shows the emotion of petition. That it's not just something she is religiously praying because this is what I was talking about earlier, the severity of the need amplified by the agitation of Peninnah and over years and Hannah's surroundings caused such stress that she entered a state of deep anguish. And in her anguish and her pain, the true intercession began to come through her in deep anguish anguish. Now this does not have to be for something only for yourself and technically she's looking for a child and she's also looking for a child that would later become a great prophet. So she is intercessing, interceding even physically. Her being will carry forth something great for God. And we see this kind of intercession done by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before the cross. Such deep anguish that his, his capillaries burst and blood came out of his, his pores. 
and dripped off of his body. Such stress, such anguish. And he prayed in deep anguish. She prayed in deep anguish. And this is an important element of prayers that get answered. You want to know what kind of prayer gets answered? Earnest prayers get answered. Focused prayers get answered. When you make a stand in petition and it affects you, the situation is so important. It's, it's also cannot be feigned, by the way. You cannot religiously fake this. You can't make it. I've seen people try. I've been in religious churches. I've worked in religious churches with very religious people. And they think that by the way they say it, God will listen more. And they feign these emotions, but they're not authentic. And you can tell. And if I can tell, you know God can tell. I'll tell you how I can tell. They pray like this. Oh, God. God. We ask you today. It's, it's a show. It's like a drama they're putting on this act. And hallelujah. I've been in denominations where they sound like ghosts. They're just. Oh, and they walk around like that. And it's, it becomes this artificial thing. Yep, tongues are great, but I find that people often misuse tongues, and I think God will pray in tongues more than all of you. I you know I have diversity tongues. I have many different languages. I love praying in tongues. It's a powerful tool. When it is genuinely coming up from the wells of salvation within us, when it comes up as a river of living water, and you feel it rise and speak, you know that you're talking things that make a difference in the heavenlies. But then there are those people who look at their watch and decide, I need to pray in tongues for an hour. They just go mumble and mumble and mumble and mumble. I'm not mocking tongues. Don't get mad at me. I'm saying that Hannah is praying in a deep place of anguish. And when we get to that point, you know it. You can't fake it. It's real or it's not. And you really don't see that. In fact, let me tell you this. I'll guarantee you the most anointed prayers you've ever prayed are when you've been in your most trouble. When you've been on the edge of a cliff about to fall off. When you've had the last straw. When you're in that place where you are desperate. Like God told me years ago, where can I be found? At the end of the rope, in the middle of the battle, and in the depths of your heart, he told me. When you are, there's nothing left in you. You're desperate. That place of desperation. That's where Hannah has arrived. Thirdly, Hannah made a vow. Now, this is more important than you might think. This shows the covenant of petition. It's an important part of prayers that get answered. You want to know what kind of prayers that get answered? There's those that involve vows. Those that involve deals made with God. So what do we negotiate with God? when we're in petition. Nothing in life is free. You know that, right? And so nothing in spiritual life is free. Sure, salvation is a free gift from God by grace. But you pay for things. Nothing, my mother used to say, there's nothing in life for free. If, if they tell you it's free, it's a lie. Everything has a price. I found in the spirit it is exactly the same. Nothing I've ever accomplished for Jesus. No ministry, no church I've ever planted, no souls I've ever won, no crusades I've ever done, no pastor's conferences I've ever done did not come with severe prices that I had to pay. Emotionally, mentally, 
physically. I could go through lists of being stricken by diseases and sickness and pains in my body and demonic attack. Always something that's causing me to have to fight and stand and make a deal. I have to make a vow. If you do this, I'll do this. We are negotiating. And that's exactly what she's doing in this passage. She's praying and talking and saying, look at your servant's mission. Remember me. Do not forget your servant. Give her a son, then I'll give him to you. If you do this for me, I'll give it all to you. If you help me out of this dilemma, God, I will do and name what you will do. Don't make it general. God, if you just get me out of this situation. You know, that's where one military leader years ago said there are no atheists in foxholes. It's a fact. I don't care who you are and what you think you believe. When you're in the middle of a battle and a war, that's what he said. There are no atheists in foxholes. Because when you're in that moment, you are faced with a reality. And you pray. And you talk to God. And you make a deal. God, you get me out of this and I'll be a priest. Or whatever it is. I heard one Catholic priest talking to a man that was in a battle, and he came to him and said, I have a problem. And he says, well, when I was out there, uh, I, I never really prayed before, but in the battle, this happened in the Korean War, he said, I, I prayed and I, I, I told God that I would do something, and now that I'm here and everything's okay, I don't know if I want to do it. And the priest says to him, you vowed to be a priest. And he said, how did you know that? And he says, you think you're the first one? <laughs> he says, if everyone that made a vow they'd be a priest in the middle of wartime be for there would be no room at the monastery. He says, I hereby grant you absolution, dominus cabiscum. You know, and let, let him go. You don't have to be a priest. It's true, because that place... But you make deals, we do as believers that are close to the Lord. You get in a place where you need something, make a deal with God. Say what you will do. And I have done it many times and have seen God answer. And I feel a release because at that moment, he's like, oh, you will. Okay, good deal. And boom, he'll answer. Well, you mean God has a price? No, I'm saying God had a price. It could be that God did all of that as a means to get you to do that very thing, which was his purpose before it ever started. Maybe that was his will for you to actually do the thing that now you're vowing to do because usually the vow has something to do with what you've always known you're supposed to do. And you're praying for God to lead you in life, and he's showing you, but you're not doing it. And so circum you don't go to the Ninevites. You go in the opposite direction, and you take a boat off into Tarshish, and, and what happens? You, of course, have a disaster that God prepares a big fish for you until it swallows you and spits you up where you belong. Because God has a purpose. And he will make a deal with you if you make a deal with him. And the, everything has a price. So we make a vow. Sacrifice is required. If God answers what you're prepared to do in response to his granting your petition, he will always have, it has been preceded by a sacrifice. Something has to be done. Finally, number four there, under the point of the petition factor, is Hannah kept praying. This shows the consistency of petition. Some people pray a little bit and stop. But no, you need to pray until you get through a breakthrough. You need to pray until you cross that line. You need to pray until you know that the answer is done. You say, when am I going to know that? I'll explain that in a minute. 
Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not become weary in doing good. For in the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. So we don't give up. Hannah was kept praying, it says. She kept praying. She continued praying. She prayed so long, so hard, so much, her voice was gone. And she couldn't anymore. That happened to me one time in my life. I prayed that hard. I screamed so loud. I had to lock myself into a vehicle and close the doors and windows and drive and went into the deepest intercession of my life. And I screamed so loud and so long that I had blood in my mouth and my voice was gone. And that thing I asked for was done. God did a miracle in my life. It was involving my son's citizenship that I had jeopardized by some foolish things I did as a young missionary. Could have lost him his American citizenship. He would have been, he would have remained as a Mexican his whole life. I have nothing against Mexico. If you're Mexican and you're watching me right now, I love you. But there are greater advantages to an American citizenship than a Mexican citizenship, and I almost blew it for him. And I went into petition and pray, and God did a miracle. Some of you have heard that testimony before, but the point is intercession, this petition had to be there. And often people stop praying. They just accept their lack, and, and they feel like, well, no. And they never reach a breakthrough. They just think, well, I guess this is the way it has to be. How many people do you think in the day of Jesus, walking up and down those roads with the crowds surrounding him, had needs that went unmet? I'm sure of it. One that didn't have the audacity to climb a tree. Friends that had a paralytic that didn't think they could bust a hole through a roof. People that didn't think it was right to scream out or that when they were rebuked, got quiet. There's always some instances there about the tenacity that has to be there, the strength of knocking without giving up, seeking and seeking and seeking. We're gonna spend nine sessions focused on seeking in Cameron Highlands. We're going to talk about every detail of it so that all of us will be these God-chasing seekers and that we will find him at any cost. We, we will become these like, like ravenous wolves after the things of God. We'll go and get them and never take no for an answer. And we will irritate people with our persistence and our, our audacity and our shamelessness of just seeking and crying and going after it. And this is what Hannah is doing. So much so that Eli thought she was drunk. Here come the number five, the breakthrough factor. Hannah broke through. Eli thought she was drunk. It's not the first time somebody in the Spirit of God doing something powerful is believed to be drunk. We see that in the baptism of the Holy Spirit the first time in the second chapter of Acts. Because when man that has not walked through a spiritual dimension like this sees someone that is doing it, he cannot comprehend the activity. He cannot, it just doesn't make sense. Really, the power of God, the release of the anointing of God is just like natural electricity. You cannot possibly appreciate electricity until you've been electrocuted. Think about it. You can hear about it. You can see someone else get shocked. And, ah, and you can, oh, I don't know, because you can't see it. It's invisible. If I give you a paper clip and you bend it just right and stick it in there, you will meet electricity. You will become a, a, a testify. You will be able to preach electricity after that. 
And until you've been plugged in to something like that, it's not going to quite make sense. I heard one evangelist say, it's like Disney World. I can teach you about Disney World all day long. I can give you 50 things about Disney World message. I can preach you the sevenfold plan of Disney. I can tell you, take you, but until you actually go to Disney World, you have no idea. It's an amazing environment that you cannot comprehend until you're actually in there and you lose your breath looking. How did they do that? So it is with the things of this, this, this spiritual connection that God is looking for us to break through. But Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I'm a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the Lord God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Now, let me ask you an important question here as we get into this. Does she have a child at this point? Has a baby been born? Is she impregnated? No, she's not Mary. The Holy Spirit did not put a child inside of her. She still has to walk this out. But then why is this grief gone? Why does she decide, well, now I can eat? Because she had a breakthrough. Once you have a breakthrough, a breakthrough is not the miracle. A breakthrough is not the answer. A breakthrough is a settling of heart where you know that your petition has been officially registered and a confidence rises in you and you smile. That's where we need to push our way to, to the breakthrough, to that moment that you get that release. And really, I wrote down some things here because not only did Hannah's petition become noticeable to God, but God also moved man to become involved because of the way that the emotion of the petition affected the world around Hannah. And once again, remember I told you, God does not answer need for the sake of need, but he answers the needs by the way it affects you. The level of your emotion surrounding the need is what God notices, not the need. Because you know there are people out there that are, that are content in misery, and God doesn't change it. Why? Because it doesn't really bother them. But you see God turn heaven and earth upside down to meet needs you don't even see as needs and you think are frivolous and foolish. But it just so happened to them, their emotions were surrounding it, and God noted it's the same with you as parents. If it bothers them enough and they can't stop whining and complaining, you give in. Eventually, if they don't quit, you're going to give in because it bothers them so much and you just want to help them even if you think it's silly you don't just throw them out. It's just, you, be, you better grow up, three-year-old. No, you meet the need because you see it stressing them, and you want to, no, no, darling, calm down. Look, it's not that bad. Daddy will do it. Let, let daddy, and you take over. That's a breakthrough. But here, in her case, after this breakthrough, a breakthrough comes after these things, and I made a list. It comes after being deeply troubled. 
A breakthrough comes after pouring out your soul. What did she say she did? I poured out my soul, poured out of my heart, my whole existence. Have you, in your, in your situation, in your need, have you actually gotten to the point where it's troubled you so deeply that it's caused you to pour your heart out to God? Praying in great anguish. Because a breakthrough comes after doing this. Number four, breakthrough comes after getting the attention of God and man. You climb a tree, God can see Zacchaeus. You yell out, he can hear you. You have an emotional moment like this where you're crying out to God. God answers those prayers. He breaks through. Sometimes, you know, our worship may get a little stagnant in this room. But then I know I just need to push further. I just need to break through. I need to involve and spend myself. Now, you don't know what's going on in my head as I'm leading us in worship. But I go into a type of holy method acting. I go into my life and find things that make me emotional in my connection with God. And I break sometimes for reasons other than what you think. But that's my business and my relationship with God. And in the moment that I'm talking about his fidelity or his grace or his power or his love, I'm living a whole drama in my mind that's causing me to break in pieces. And as a result, my heart pours out. And if you're anywhere within proximity, it ends up causing your heart to break. Because we are compassionate people. And that's really what a good worship leader needs. He needs the ability to be able to be continuously broken, praying in great anguish, getting the attention of God and man. Eli noticed this. And therefore, as the ruling priest in that area, under the anointing of God, said to her, may that be granted to you. Whatever it is, I agree with you in this prayer. He did not even know the details of everything. But he agreed because, man, whatever, she must really want it. Because she looks like she's drunk. I don't think I've ever seen anybody pray that hard or do that. And it comes after manifesting humility. She called herself a servant. May your servant find favor in your eyes. She said this to that man. She humbled herself to him. Her, her husband was a great man. Elkanah was a great man. But she still, she knew she needed help. So she humbled herself. Then she went her way and ate something. And her face was no longer downcast. That's a sense of relief that came to Hannah after this season of seeking and prayer. This was her breakthrough. The breakthrough is not the granting of the petition, but the release of faith. Now, how long it takes after the breakthrough for the thing to happen, I don't know. But once you had a breakthrough, you really don't care anymore. You're confident everything's going to be okay. And it may take a long time, but the breakthrough is the sense of accomplishment in the absence of answer. It is the gift of faith to believe. God gives you suddenly the ability to believe what you could not believe before that moment. That gift is granted in the realm of soul and spirit and is the seed of success, not necessarily the succeeding. It's a seed planted that confidence and later the reality will come, but you feel it's already done and you rest in that assurance. You sigh. <sighs> and Hannah accepted by faith that the answer would come. She had no guarantees in the natural. Eli didn't sign a contract of promise, give her a certificate of pregnancy. She just believed and accepted and went away content. And as a result, of course, the answer came. Number six, 
the answer factor. Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. It's interesting that in in, 19, in the 1990s, actually late 80s, my first true encounter with God that came after 365 days of earnest prayer, screaming prayer, every day with no response from God. Every day I prayed, day after day after day after day after day after day. I reasoned that if he, if, if he doesn't stop me, I'm going to drive God insane. He's going to have to come down and kill me because I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep asking. I'm going to keep praying. And I did it with a strict discipline every day in the same room, in the same place, day after day, screaming, yelling out to God. And after one year, God came. And I'll never forget. You've heard me share the story many times. I won't go into it. It's when he took me into eternity. I saw the tube of time, and he showed me things from his perspective. He showed me my future. I had maps on my walls of nations, and when I looked at the maps, he showed me the souls in those areas that I would be used to touch. It was like watching videos come out of my walls. It was just supernatural, amazing moment in God. You know what the first thing that came out of my mouth was when the power hit me and I fell to my knees trembling, and the glory of God filled the room. I said these same words. I said, just because I asked. And that's what she's actually naming Samuel, this name, because I asked the Lord for him. And that's what I said. The Lord came and I said, just because I asked. Because in the light of a petition of one year, when the granting of the presence of God came in full power with visions and, and wonders, I couldn't believe that just 365 days could possibly produce something so great. And I realized that I would have prayed for 365 years if I'd had to. to. If I knew what I was going to get, if I knew what would happen, I would have prayed for a thousand years for that moment. But you only know that in hindsight. The answer factor, when it comes, it comes. Very beautiful processing of God's power and she said Hannah became pregnant she has this baby and and after she felt the sense of release and the breakthrough she just had to wait and walk out the time it took for the actual happening to occur and strangely this is one of the least eventful parts of the process of petition the answer answer in fact often you will find interesting that there's far less interaction and intimacy in this stage than there is in any other often God gives you what you've been looking for and you're like okay thanks and you walk away a lot of people do that but if it brings you into a real intimacy you have a tendency to stay in that place of intimacy and some people do and some people don't some people just pray and ask God gives them something and then once they have it they're fine and before you know it, they're not even reading their Bible much anymore they're not really praying because need being the catalyst of true prayer and, and intimacy is what put them in that place to relate to God but if you have the right kind of relation and the right connection with him you get into a place where nothing will ever satisfy you again and so the answer is not really it it's what comes from the process the relationship. 
Think of the interaction of a child with the parent concerning ice cream. You know, the, if, if a child wants ice cream, one ice cream, one ice cream, you give him ice cream, and is that child hugging you and thanking you for the ice cream while holding the cone? Gone. In a corner somewhere eating that ice cream. You can talk to them and they won't listen to you because they got what they wanted. And a lot of people are like that. Number seven, we end with this, the praise factor. Praise is not just words, not just songs, but it's actions. Hannah gave Samuel to the Lord. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him, which, by the way, is until approximately the age of six years. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli. And she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child. And the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to the Lord. For his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Now from there the history of Samuel is astounding. And Samuel heard from God for the first time while serving under Eli and grew and became the one that anointed Saul and then anointed David, a great man of God. Every prayer that we make, we should keep in mind that the ultimate result of the petition is not that you get what you want, but that God gets the glory for what you've received. That's the praise factor. You don't go around testifying simply because you got what you asked for or the thing worked out. You go around testifying that God worked it out for you. God did this. Some people don't do that. Be very careful. One sure way to cut yourself off from the blessings of God is to fail to give him the glory for everything that you receive. But we do that. Hannah was helpless and not able to have a child by any means of the natural. Her earnest petition to God caused him to respond with supernatural results. And knowing that this was not of herself, Hannah gave all the glory to God. And she later gave what the Lord gave her back to him in service to his kingdom. So when we realize that all the things that we have are from and through Jesus, we accept the fact that it all belongs to him. He made all things. All things are his. This is an important revelation. If he puts anything in your hands, it's his. He, he had the Israelites prove it through tithes, offerings, and the, the sacrifices that they offered. We do the same thing today with our lives. Our lives are a living sacrifice. And this enables us to easily release what we have received in service to Christ and his kingdom because it's not ours. Even the child that she received belonged to the Lord. I gave my children, I've given all my children to God all their lives. That's why two of them are in the ministry now and why, why my daughter's only 13. And I, she was given, at the time of birth, I gave her to the Lord. 
We'll see what happens. Hannah, the art of petition. These are the seven things we saw. The need factor, the favor factor, the obstacle factor, the petition factor, the breakthrough factor, the answer factor, and, and the, the praise factor. Amen. Why don't we stand to our feet? God is so good to us. I want us to sing that song again before we pray. Holy, 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 our God is on the throne. So firm, so firm is his foundation. No power can overthrow. And he shall reign forever and ever. One name, one name, our lasts the ages through time his truth revealed. All kings, all kings may pass like shadows. Our God is sovereign still, and He shall reign forever and ever. Oh, he shall reign, and He shall reign forever and ever. So the last verse, the day, the day. I stand before him what praise will fill my soul and there behold his glory and praise him all for long seasons and times and we've not had answers. Maybe our motivations have not been pure. Maybe we've not been focused enough. Maybe there's just a timing issue and then our time for that petition to be granted has not yet come. What we need is a solution to that is to simply become patient with you and to do our part just like Hannah did our part is serious petition. Our part is going into your presence and asking you with all of our hearts. Lord, we all want things from you. We all want your power. We all want 
your visitation. We all want the anointing of God. We all want prosperity. We all want blessings in our life. We all want comfort and rest. We all want healing. But if we had all of these things at one time given and we were completely satisfied, it's doubtful we would really ever be able to relate to you. It's in our anguish, it's in our suffering and in our difficulty that we find you. So Lord, teach us, teach us to grow and learn. Let us follow the example of Hannah and come before you and pray and seek you. I just feel a ramping up. I feel an increase moving as we go to the church camp in Cameron Highlands. I, I think great things are going to happen there. I think there's going to be visitations that take place. I think ministry is going to be birthed during that week. Things are going to change. Things are going to break in people's lives. And more importantly, the people that are there and the people that learn and grow in that moment are going to bring change into the lives of other people. Lord, grant us your anointing and your power. Grant us the visitation of your glory during that time. And every time we meet together, we know that you're in this place right now. We just lift our hands up to heaven right now. And we say, Lord, touch us by your grace. Touch us by your mercy. I pray that whatever needs are in this room right now, if there's any sickness or disease, there's any worry or concern, any depression, any heartache and misery, maybe even like that of Hannah, God, hear the cry of our hearts. Hear our petition as we cry out to you. Hear as we stretch our hands out to you, as we seek your face, Lord. In earnest, we seek you deeply, burning with the fire of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. What everything that we've studied tonight, burn in our hearts, Lord. Let everything that we've covered go deep and remain there. Jesus, we're grateful for it. We're grateful for it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.